Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. When Jesus was born, some wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. They asked, Where is the baby who was born to be the king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Matthew 2, 1-2 Epiphany is with us until the presentation in the temple, 40 days after the birth of Christ, and this year it falls on February the 2nd. Uh, I still have my nativity scene with the three wise men displayed in my office. It seems a shame to put it away before the end of the season. And my son and daughter still have their tree shining brightly in their flat and their nativities too. Somehow it's always more exciting to put the tree and lights up than it is to take them down. Although my mother-in-law did a good job of putting everything away the weekend after Christmas. And without the close proximity of shopping malls here in East Texas, my blue-eyed cowboy and I sort of felt as though Christmas has been long gone even before the 12 days of Christmas were allowed to run their course. We kept our Advent wreath going till Epiphany, but I still have my cards out because I didn't get some till I checked my P.O. box last week when I was up in Dallas. And of course there are the birthday cards that need to linger a little longer. During my walks I've noticed some of the houses still have their lights up. Personally I think that's good, but then they wouldn't be special at Christmas if they kept them up all year, would they? We left lights up in our house one year. We had strung a couple of white strands in the garden room, and one of my daughters asked if we could leave them up. So we did, for the rest of our time there. It was always so welcoming in the evenings when we flicked that switch and on went all those little fairy lights. I'm reminded when I see lights in the darkness that Jesus, the baby in the crib, is the light of the world. Hello and welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. My name is Vivian McNenny, and I'm here to dispel the preconceived myth many people may have about what educating our children at home looks like. From the demurely dressed to the concealed handgun toting group, the secular to the missionary, from structured to child-led to entertainers or those suffering from illness, in college or on a boat, from teen parenting to the sex trade to child prodigies, through unemployment to the jungles of Ecuador and the bombs of Beirut, broken homes to circus life in the Australian outback and the persecuted families of Europe. I've spoken to all of them and I enjoy the diversity of the culture we call homeschooling, an umbrella term embracing the learning that takes place outside the traditional education arena. This hour, while I include insights and delights from my wildflower household, where God dwells in the humdrum of what I consider to be a very blessed life, I'll be joined by a guest and we'll talk about aspects of family life, which usually relates to homeschooling and always speaks straight to the heart of parents who place the responsibility of child-rearing above their highest joy. With or without my children underfoot, my life is often ordinary, always busy and sometimes frustrating. But for me, it always starts and ends with the beauty of creation. A smiling face, a setting sun, a rousing piece of music, or even a simple 
hug. I'd love to offer you a mug of PG tips to fortify this time together, and a chocolate biscuit to tickle your taste buds and thank you for staying. But you're on that side, and I'm over here broadcasting live from East Texas, a small community on a golf course with lakes, where my blue-eyed cowboy and I are spending some time while God decides what he wants to do with us next. After the break, I'll be talking to Betsy and George Christian, authors of For the Love of Texas, that makes history bound off the page. I'm all set, so grab whatever it is you're drinking and let me engage you with the latest and greatest from the household of the McNinnies, where our children talk to us all the time and give me a chance every once in a while to remind them of some of what they learned in homeschool. Are you ready? Well, Happy New Year again. Any post-holiday blues? An English friend of mine commented the weekend after Christmas, I've been back at work for two days. What sort of country is this? What sort of country indeed? Back home we take the whole two weeks off. But here in the East Texas, it seems Christmas has been long gone. So, we toddled up to Dallas for a very long weekend last week and basked in the lights of Dalt's tree. I even hung some more chocolates on its branches. With two birthdays, we had some celebrating to catch up with. And my well-heeled stranger, best buddy, was going out of town, so my cowboy and I nestled down in her house and kept her cat company for four days. It was blissy. We entertained to boot, having both daughters and their friends over for brunch on two consecutive days. In fact, we went out to dinner with some friends from the theatre days. They're the parents of the lovely lab we used to babysit. Buddy, remember him? We asked about their children, and they said, well, we never hear from them. Do you hear from yours? Ha ha all the time, we said, which is true enough. And it's the end of the Christmas season, and is your bank account relieved? I feel it every year. Not that I buy gifts for everyone who cross my path, but I love to entertain, and although eating at home is heaps cheaper than splurging at a restaurant, it still isn't cheap. My bank account loves January. The pressure is off, and the dollars have a chance to settle down. This year, of course, all my children were living independently of the parental wallet, and they were broke before the season even came close. I didn't let any of them leave home without teaching them how to draw up a budget. Trust me, I still have the template in one of my folders, just in case one of them requests a refresher. But somehow, all those lessons are forgotten when they hit the secular front presented by the world outside the family home. The latest feather to fly the nest is still reeling from the knowledge that owning a car is not just about making a car payment to mum every month. It also involves maintenance, and she's had to have a little bit of work done using money that she had hoped was going to go towards the look of her car, since she had run it, had a run-in with a post in an underground parking garage within weeks of taking possession of her beautiful black Lexus, which is 13 years old. Now she's facing looking at her dents for a while longer, and I have to keep a firm leash on my tongue to stop it from blabbing. Clothes, coffees and shoes will not repair your front bumpers. I know, I know, she tells me before I say a word. The intake of breath clues her in. My children want to have fun, not work, work, work all day. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as the budget allows. One day they'll adjust. And I'm warning you, soft touches out there. If you give in and underwrite their wants, they'll never learn. I know it hurts, especially when your children struggle to keep themselves in the manner to which they have been accustomed. Here's a question. 
how long did we have to wait before owning a brand new anything? Even today, my blue-eyed cowboy's car, uh, my car is a used one. I go to thrift shops for my clothes and watch for bargains at the grocery store. That being said, I have a guest who joins me every once in a while who talks about finances, Carol Top, and together we've uncovered some money myths which I thought were apropos for this time of the year with new leaves, good intentions, a potential business venture or two going on and all that. Here are some thoughts on that taboo topic, money. Credit cards will get you every time if you let them. Our culture makes having too easy. Don't look to the government as a fine example of how to balance a budget. It doesn't. At least not the way the ordinary business or man on the street does. We'd never survive if we were allowed to handle our money matters the way our government does. Our paycheck is not all ours, even if it's made out to us. First dibs go to taxes, tithes, debt, bills and savings. What's left is ours. My children are guilty of dipping into the money pot first, then wonder why the rent comes due so fast and they can't pay it. Oh, hard lessons. Having more money will never make you happier because you'll always want more. Being in debt is not normal, and no one said it's fun to work and save all the time. But that's how you're supposed to do it. Credit cards again. That extra cushion of money we don't have. I do tend towards those 0% interest for several month deals, but only if I can afford the monthly payments. When we use the plastic card, this is interesting, we spend 12% more and our brain registers pleasure. When we use cash, we spend less and our brains register pain. Don't buy into the myth that things make me happy. They don't. Your inner well-being will make you happy, not that pair of shoes or the new sofa. The more you have, the more you want. Stay out of the shops. And Dortz told me about a friend whose paycheck covered her rent and bills without any leftover to save or spend on herself. Dortz thought that was a terrible state of affairs. She was living at home at the time and spent all her money as she earned it. Now that she no longer lives with us, she is finding that rent, food and those other must-haves she's put on the never-never are using all her hard-earned money and she's having a difficult time saving. Did I say budget? Live within your means? Budget? And finally, money does make me happy, for a moment perhaps, and allows me to make some forever memories, but not all of my forever memories, but some of them. Worrying about money, whether I have it or not, kills the love of life. It can ruin an expensive, ill-budgeted holiday, for example. Unearned money is the best, because you've usually earned it in some way or another. Being paid for doing something you love is an awesome way to earn money, and you're very, very lucky if that happens. There are plenty of things to do that cost nothing. Walking for starters, picnics for our family, stargazing, conversations around a fire. Hmm, what else? Just because you're rich in currency doesn't mean you're happy. And you can't take it with you, but you can leave it in good hands. And it's time for me to go on my first break. You're listening to The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet Radio, and I'm Vivian McNenny. Go get something to drink, and I'll be back with my guests right after these messages. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? 
That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. It's time to capture the simple piece of the Amish in your own life. Amish Wisdom with Suzanne Woods-Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central. Each week, Suzanne will have conversations with guests about living a life that incorporates principles of the Amish without going Amish. She'll cover the practical, simplicity, slowing down, reducing clutter, putting the brakes on materialism, the historical, how have the Amish survived for 400 years, how can we hold on to what we hold dear, and the spiritual, treasuring important values, honoring the past, and increasing peace of mind. You don't have to become Amish to make personal peace a reality. Amish wisdom will help all of us live a simpler life. For more information, go to SuzanneWoodsFisher.com. With Amish wisdom, Suzanne offers us a glimpse into a world of peace, serenity, and total commitment to family and God. This show just might change the way you live your life. It's Amish wisdom with Suzanne Woods Fisher. Thursday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. You're listening to The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet Radio. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'm thrilled to have as my guests this week, Betsy and George Christian. Betsy is a writer, public affairs consultant, and community volunteer. George, a fifth-generation Texan, practices law and teaches literature at the University of Texas at Austin. They have two school-age children and two adult children. They are the authors of For the Love of Texas, two history books that are as lively and irreverent as the characters found on their pages. Betsy and George, welcome to my show. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm going to start with you, George, since you are a fifth-generation Texan, and I asked my husband, who is a Texan born and bred, what number generation he is, and he reckons fourth, so which makes my children fifth-generation Texans. So... They have something in common with you. So will you tell my listeners exactly what does that mean? How far back does your family go? My family goes back to around 1850. And so we were not in the first wave of colonization of Texas, which was the 1820s and 30s, but the sort of next generation. And uh, my people came from Kentucky and they came from other southern states. Mm -hmm and settled around central texas uh my my great great grandfather founded the town of marble falls which Mm -hmm. is close to austin in the hill country 
He was a land surveyor. <laughs> and uh, since then, my family has grown up in this area. Okay, and I know there are clubs because I met somebody, um, an older lady, who was, she said she was the um, daughter of the Republic, which meant that her family was here before Texas became part of the United States. Is that right? That is true. There, um, There's definitely a club of the old 300. They were the first colonists brought to Texas by Stephen F. Austin. And I ran into a lady just the other day who is a part of that. Uh, she was down in Gonzales. Mm-hmm. And apparently there, there are plenty of, of old 300s still around. And it's so interesting to me because they had, I mean, huge, huge land grants. I mean, just massive amounts of land that you couldn't, you really couldn't get to mm-hmm. uh, as far as working them and, um, you know, making it produce. We've had this conversation a number of times, but that's a lot of land to um, to pass through over the years and, and, and not that many people still have their land. No, no, that's right. Um, well, Oklahoma did the same kind of thing, didn't they? I mean, they they kind of opened up huge tracts of land for people to come and, well, actually, as far as they could get in a day, they could have. That's right. <laughs> Something That's like that. Spectacular, I know. I yeah. Take yeah. a while to do that in Texas. It's hard to get anywhere in a day, even now. I know. I know. My son, my son was driving back from California uh, last week, and he said, "I'm in Texas." 10 hours away from Dallas I'm thinking okay well he's in Texas but he's still a long way away from from where he needs to be we've had this conversation a a number of times about it just how incredible it was to think about hitching your wagon driving all the way out to Texas Mm -hmm. and getting to Texas and once you're here you know, you don't just, uh, you know, check in. You, you've got to find, if you were one of these original land-grant uh, folks, you had to find Stephen F. Austin on his many thousands of acres. And, you know, what are the chances of running into him, you know, yeah. the day you get here? Yeah. And, and you've got to have, uh, you know, you got to have your survey papers signed. And just finding people on these big tracts of land is so incredible. Well, and then staking them out. You know, so that nobody else can kind of encroach on your. Did they do that back then? Did they actually bound have boundaries around their land? Yes, they did. They registered their titles, which had meets and bounds measurements of their boundary lines. Mm-hmm. Of course, they would refer to trees and rocks and streams and you know natural features like that. Mm-hmm. But still, squatting was a very uh, important way that people got land in Texas uh, really? in that period as well. They would just come down and squat. Mm-hmm. And uh, over a long period of time, they got that land by possession. So mm-hmm. even if you had your land title and your big tract of land, you might you might have some visitors on there who lived there long enough to actually get it back from you. Well, so what about the... Um the Indians in that, uh, you know, the, the, the people that were originally here, or had they all pretty much moved on by then? Oh, they were certainly still here, and and, and that made it really fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it depends on, on what part you're, you're talking about, but I guess if we're talking about this, uh, you know, the first Texas colonists, um, you know, there were still plenty of Native Americans around, and, and that kept... Uh, that kept the Texans very busy. Um, 
you know, there, there were some, I guess, a few that I can think of friendly relationships, but for the most part, they were very hostile. Yeah. And, you know, moving the capital to Austin was a really big deal. A lot of people felt very unsafe coming all the way out to Austin. You know, they, they felt a little safer in Houston, but yeah. Um, yeah. nevertheless. So, so was it the land that drew people to Texas from these other southern states? Yes, and Texas was really settled initially by people called filibusters mm-hmm. who came to Texas when it was a Spanish colony and then a, a part of Mexico and basically just moved into the state and um, settled here for land. And there had been a great uh, wave of financial crisis in the U.S. in 1819, for example, mm-hmm. where a lot of there was a land bubble that burst, kind of like in 2008. And uh, <laughs> a lot of people you know, lost their land, were in debt, and decided to push further west. And so the first wave of immigration here was really because people went bankrupt, right, in other states of the Union. They pushed into this part of the world, which at that time was not part of the United States, to get away from their debts and Mm. to start a new life. You know, I want to add something to that. There are really two interesting thoughts when when I when we were writing the books this is really what stuck out to me there was the Sam Houston way and there was the Stephen F. Austin way and and both of those characters are just there throughout the book and books and and there it's so telling I mean Stephen F. Austin he was so forthright and such a good citizen except for his family was bankrupt, um, and that's why they were coming to Texas. Um, they were they were coming to make back some money that they had lost. And Steve uh, Sam Houston, on the other hand, he was more uh, in in the vein of trying filibustering, trying trying to get the land. Uh, and, and his agenda always was, I think, to make Texas a part of the United States. Okay. You know, kind of you know enacting Andrew Jackson's. Uh, wishes mm-hmm. it's di- different people for different reasons and then then certainly the people who are running away from crime yeah right. yeah so and, so so they would come and get all of this land they couldn't farm thousands of acres or have many acres it was that they were they were getting so what did they do typically with the land well this is a this is very interesting it has a lot to do with the way the state developed um, when Austin came to you know, establish a colony at the, with the, you know, land grants from the Spanish government, he immediately recognized that Texas in the sort of southeastern part of the state where the river valleys are, uh, was prime land for cotton farming. And it was Austin's view that Texas would become a very large uh, cotton uh, growing region and that's why most of the early settlers brought their slaves, uh, was to uh, farm cotton here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like you say, the areas settled first were along the river bottoms where the land was very rich and perfect for cotton cultivation. But as they went further west, like you say, they had these big grants of land that they couldn't farm because of the rocky soil and how rough it was. Mm-hmm. And so what they... Tr- 
What they did at the beginning really was it took them so long to clear the land and to, you know, establish any kind of agriculture. They had to live other ways. They lived by hunting and trying to um, uh, raise pigs and things of that nature, stuff that they could trade for merchandise. And so it really got off to a very rough start. It was very hard to farm away yeah. from the rich river valleys. Yeah, and then you've got the intense weather. <laughs> yes, and that's a big part of the tune. In our books, we talk about the drought uh, periods and the wet periods. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of the history of Texas, obviously. Another thing, when you're talking about uh, cotton uh, production, there's a really big uh, issue, um, philosophical issue that we try to engage the students in. You know, why is it that that cotton farming needed needed slaves and agriculture didn't and why did you know sugar need slaves and and other forms of um other uh, other forms didn't didn't need um slaves so that's one of the questions we kind of bring up mm -hmm. so you're talking we're talking about your book and we haven't actually formally um introduced why you decided to write Texas history books because we know that in schools Texas history is taught several times during a child's lifetime so there are textbooks out there but they're probably a little bit drier than some of us as homeschoolers um, want to dip into so we tend to go to what we call whole books which are maybe historical fiction maybe biographies of um, outstanding Texas characters perhaps or whatever state um, you're homeschooling in you go find your 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 um, interesting characters so what what made you um, decide to write another history book about Texas? We really um, got this idea outside of the U.S. We were in Scotland one summer and, you know, visiting various museums and, and there were always uh, books. Uh, it was a series of books called, you know, uh, Queen Mary and all that or... Okay. Uh, Alan Burnett wrote these books and they were, you know, they were meant for middle grade and we read them aloud to our children just traveling, you know, to different sites and they were, they were hilarious. They were so funny and the kids were really engaged and George and I were engaged as well and they do a great job of disseminating the facts and making it palatable to, you know, a, a middle grade audience and there were illustrations and we got back and we, we thought, we've got to find something like this, um, you know, about American history. And there just wasn't anything. We got this idea that we would write them. And in researching um, a proposal for a publisher, we, we really looked to see what was out there and if there was a need. And there's just nothing out there. I mean, you for, you know, for adults, there's endless history. And for middle grade, you know, you've got a lot of historical fiction that, it's great fun to read, but boy, the facts are, are you know, all over the place. Yeah. And then, you know, you've got biography, and there's always a biography, but it's very limiting in, <laughs> in what it tells. And so, you know, we, we developed these books, and George really developed a more linear fashion um, as far as the story of Texas. And it's great because you, you can start and follow it. You know, it's not all about dates. It's about 
it's about the personalities and it's about you know how history was was shaped and and why and it i hope i think that we did and i hope that we we did a good job of really engaging students not so much to think about on this date this is what happened mm -hmm. but to really think about you know why things did happen like this why things will happen a certain way in the future um but to really think about it is you know is this where where we want to go is this this you know are yeah. we are we getting along to yeah to go the way we want to yeah yeah. Well, um, Betsy and George, it's time for me to go on a short break. You're listening to The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet Radio, and this is Vivian McNenny. I'm talking to Betsy and George Christian, authors of For the Love of Texas. And in a few moments, uh, we'll be back with more about their books. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski, a live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Girlfriend It is on Toginet. Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central with your hosts Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan. This show is your chance to share, learn, laugh, and connect with other women. The Girlfriend It principle was born out of loss. Lisa had recently had her mother pass away from cancer and my mom um, was murdered. A man just walking into a room and started a 23-second shooting spree. I think one of the things we both realized going through those tragedies that you can be extremely okay and be extremely sad. Check out GirlfriendIt.com and then be a part of Girlfriended, the radio show, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central. You know, your boyfriend or, or your husband or whatever, they don't totally understand that emotional side to a woman like another woman does. And I think that's so important just to have somebody that you go, she gets me. Check out the website, girlfriended.com. Don't miss Girlfriended with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, Thursdays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 11 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. This is The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet Radio. I'm your host, Vivian McNinney, and George and Betsy Christian, authors of For the Love of Texas, are talking to me. And... I want to ask the two of you, because for me, I love history, and I even love the dates. Memorizing dates for me was really a very, very easy thing to do. Once we got into the politics, you know, the sort of the politics of the world wars, it started to get a little bit um, much for me, so I prefer that more. I 
love to learn about people and how people actually thrived during crises and good times and you know what the family was doing what the children were doing that kind of um, I enjoy those kinds of um, history books driven by people so your books I know have some um, wonderful characters in them and I'm going to ask you do you have a favorite character do you have a character that you would love to entertain and find out more about I'm going to start with that. Um, Bill is with me. Sam Houston and Stephen F. Austin are so different. And, and you know, I, I could never decide, I still can never decide where my sympathies lie the most. I mean, Stephen F. Austin was such a hard worker. He was such a good guy. And just everything bad happened to him. Mm-hmm. It was just, I mean... I just feel feel so much for him. I mean, he really did work hard, and he never got the rewards that I think he deserved. Mm-hmm. And then Sam Houston, I mean, he seems so strong. And you go back, and and every everything, in a way, was against him, too. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's not, you know, his reputation is, uh, is so, you know, really, so many times his army went against him. Not so many times, almost every time. I mean, <laughs> and again, both of those men are, I mean, that they could stick to it and get this done is just amazing. Now, you have to say the bad one, George. Well, Texas history is full of, you know, outlaws and bandits and land swindlers. And, you know, really, uh, there's a lot of violence in the 19th century. And I guess still is in some places. Um, but I would not have wanted to run into the Comanches. And, you know, there are different sort of Comanche leaders who came into contact with Texas, uh, you know, Texians, American Texans. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one particularly who was particularly cruel. He, and this has to do with the kidnapped settlers and and would um torture them right and and you know there's this terrible story of this girl who was kidnapped and brought back and um you know had really been mutilated in some terrible ways um and you know this is the kind of thing you would run into and we're talking about children's experiences and how traumatic they could be Mm. uh but but if you've ever seen the movie The Searchers, and it's a John Wayne movie, it's about Texas, and mm-hmm. uh, a girl is kidnapped by the Comanches. That that happened. That mm-hmm. that was real, and a lot of uh, young people did end up um, growing up in Native American communities like that. And it's really surprising how big a part of the early history of the frontier that is. And well, I would not have wanted to meet any of them. Um, uh, it was extremely hard and most of them didn't survive and we don't talk about that in the book (laughs) but I mean one of the kids was brought back with her her nose burned off with hot coal it's that that rough we we don't dwell on that sort of thing but we do try to impress though that you know it was really an existential experience life and death yeah uh and and if that didn't get you you might get smallpox or that didn't get you 
right? You'd starve to death because there was a drought or it was just snake bites, stuff like that. Or if you didn't work hard enough, your family wasn't going to make it because, you know, right now, I mean, I I think of my own kids and how certainly making sure they have a responsibility for for helping our, our little homestead, but, you know, if they don't take out the garbage, I mean, we're not going to die. But, I mean, some of these kids in, in Pioneer days, I mean, they were needed. They, not some of them, all of them. They were needed, and their, their work was, was essential. So so how do you how do you bring that across to a child that's um, living in today's world? They, they really have a hard time imagining. And yes, there might be some movies like the John Wayne movie that might give you a little bit of more of a, maybe a sterile um, picture of what life was really like. But, you know, and children really cannot imagine that. I mean, some children don't even go camping so they have they they would have no idea. So how how are you able to convey that? Because your books are geared to um, seventh graders, the nine to well, you say nine to thirteen year olds. Correct. We I, we're very chatty in the book. Okay. I mean, we talk about an issue, we give some details about it, and then we ask some questions. Okay. How would you feel in this situation? What would you do if this were your choice? This or this, and so we. We try to engage them in a way that hopefully they'll really use their own perspective and after after reading this and, and make some some thoughtful historical decisions. Mm. So, George, you're a, a lawyer. So tell me, I know there are some things that happened way back then that really are set in stone now as far as Texas law goes from those days. I mean, homeschooling right. probably is one of them. Um, because on the prairie, that's what they did. I mean, Texans have uh-huh. always um, educated their own children. I think this was the basis on the homeschooling. Um, oh, there was there was a large court case back in the eighties, um, Arlington versus Leeper about yeah, homeschooling, and um, it goes back to that time. And I know there are a lot of states in America. Probably the the rest of America has those kinds of um, roots um, in their law. So yeah. tell, talk, talk to us about maybe something that's, you know, sort of a, a major thing that is still affecting how we live as Texans today. Well, in my view, the, the most important inheritance that we had is not from the American common law or the British common, English common law, but mm-hmm. the Spanish law, and that's community property. Um, okay. States that, uh, that had Spanish uh rule at one time almost always and these are southern states mainly western states along the border with mexico uh, they have a, com- a community property tradition which is not part of the english law that was brought over by the, the uh, colonists in in the north and and that that's a very different social system and has produced a much more equitable way if you have to you know Separate. dissolve a marriage or when one of the spouses dies, right, the inheritance of the land is different than it is uh, in common law states. And and in some ways, this is much more favorable for families and for women. And I, and I think that, you know, we think of Texas as big, tough, and masculine a lot. It is in a lot of ways. But, you know, there are big, tough women who came here too. And, and it's interesting to me that Texas law 
was different mm -hmm. uh, and that recognized women in a different way. And I think that's still that's still very strong today. Now it doesn't always work out fairly for everybody, mm -hmm. but it is a tradition that that is important and distinctive mm -hmm. to this part of the world. Mm -hmm. And Texans have a reputation for not being not enjoying being told what to do. They're very independent, very cautious of their government, um, interfere when they don't think that the government is doing what they think is right. Um, why? why? Why do Texans have this independence streak? I don't know why, but <laughs> I just have to say, again, back to poor Sam Houston. I mean, so many times he was he was so rational and so thoughtful. And like the Alamo, for instance, he he said, no, 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 you do not do that. And they said, yes, 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 we are going to do that. And, you know, every single time you would, you know, Texas would be on a on a certain path. The people would jump up and say, "Nope, we're not going there," and it just bowls me over every time. And I think it has to do a lot with the way, you know, people came here and what they came here for. They came to get away from something else and and to, you know, try to create a new life. And you know, they don't like to be trenched upon. And and it's not only Texas is like that, but I think the fact that we did have a revolution here against a, what we would now say is a foreign power, you know, that probably made a big difference. Mm -hmm. That blood was shed, right, to throw off a regime that was, you know, seen as tyrannical here. And I think that experience of the revolution and, and how traumatic a revolution is, you know, families lost fathers and brothers and livelihoods in that event like in any revolution. And I think that's had a deep, deep impact on the psychology of people growing up here. Mm. Uh, and and I think that experience probably has something to do with it as well. Aren't you in East Texas, Vivian? We're, yes, we're in East Texas. That was, uh, boy, that, that was an interesting exercise, uh, like around Nacogdoches, the Fredonia, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, you know, there were there were people who came on the first round, and and they were here, and they were working, and they were living, you know, under Mexican rule. And then then the new people came in and said, absolutely not, we're not going to live that way. And you know, it was a real deciding factor: are we gonna are we gonna stay and try to maintain this little little bit of hold we've got here, or are we gonna let these newcomers come in and stir up a war and eventually? It, it was the war. Yeah. One. Yeah. Well, um, so we you've you've written these these books that will um, um, capture the attention of both the child and the teacher, and I know that you've been doing a lot of um, publicity, and um, your books are on sale. Where tell us where we can go and buy your books. Uh, you can go to our website, which is fortheloveoftexas.com, mm -hmm. and it gives all kinds of information there. Oh, and another thing on that site that has been really fun um, that my seventh grader told me to do, uh, we're on Ask FM, and kids have really used this. In fact, we a kid from California 
uh, asked some questions, and I think we basically did his essay for him, but he was <laughs> he was very engaged and asked some really good questions, and uh, I don't know if you know AskFM, you, you put out... Um, you know, a question and, and then the person answers back. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, anyway, so that's worked really well for us. But you can also buy the books on Amazon or at Barnes and Noble or mm-hmm. wherever you buy books independently. Okay. okay, well, um, how would, because a lot of my listeners aren't from Texas because this is a global show, it's the internet. What would you say to mums who aren't really strong history lovers but would like to teach their children some history but they they don't really like the textbooks where where can they go to find um you know interesting stories rather than just picking up biographies which sometimes can be a little bit dry what 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 can they do what do you suggest to get them interested in history well to get the parents interested in history and this is just my very personal preference but hw brand writes the best Mm -hmm. narrative history that is so engaging and interesting and fun to read Mm -hmm. um and and that's another thing we we thought about when we wrote these books there's just not that for children and uh you know i can pick up any one of his books and just fall immediately into that world and, Mm -hmm. and he's fabulous writer so I would I would start there and and the books are huge so they'll take a long time <laughs> huge okay kind of approach for he takes kind of a biographical approach as a way of writing mm-hmm. American and Texas history which mm-hmm. is kind of what we do you know following his example mm-hmm. and I think it's a it's you know I think he's the best thing out there for just general popular American history right now mm-hmm. And so why? Why history? Why why does history matter? You know, kids are going, oh, I don't want to learn about what went on in the past because that's past. What has it got to do with me today? And I know we talked a little bit about the Texas um, legislature and, and, and how some of the, the laws um, are, you know, still upheld today. But in general, you know, with, with um, learning about what happened in the past to our ancestors, why is that so important? Well, William Faulkner said that history is not dead. It's not even past. And I think, you know, what Faulkner meant by that was we're all products of it. We grow up in particular historical conditions, and they influence us whether we know it or not. And we're talking about this strong independent streak of Texans. I mean, you know, we've been part of the United States for a really long time, but we still see ourselves as Texans first, or a lot of Texans who I sure think that way and was raised that way. Now, that's obviously coming from our history, yeah. right? And and so I think history not only molds us in certain ways and certainly shapes attitudes and approaches to life, but, but I think it also... It repeats itself in various ways. I mean, we fight today about the rights of states versus the federal government. Well, that's replaying fights that we've had in Texas, fights that we've had in American history at other times. And it's. I think it's good to know that, you know, we're not by ourselves. We're not facing problems that people haven't ever faced before in different conditions. And it, I think history's comforting that way. Oh, that's good. Because it shows you you can't overcome problems and things do get better. I mean, and you can make them better. 
and, and you see people in history who have taken charge of their conditions and they don't accept tyranny or they don't accept a, a certain status quo and they want to change it. And I think history tells us that, that we can make a difference. So, Betsy, as, as a mom, um, if, if history is something that um, your child does want to study and wants to go to college and, um, you know, sort of take a degree in, in history. What, is it limiting? I mean, what can you do with a degree in history besides teach? Wow, well, I'm a big proponent of liberal arts education. Uh-huh. And we do have, we have a child who has a, a, a history degree. Um, and I'm going to leave it at that because I'm not sure what she's going to do with that. Um, and then, uh, I mean, but I, I think it's just really about being well-rounded. Yeah. And, and and just like a, saying H.W. Brand writes from a, bio, a biographical uh, way, but he really, he's writing about an entire time, an entire era, but he's just using the character or the, the personality to tell his complete story. And, and history is, if you're focused just on history, it, it is just a, a way to learn all of the other parts of education. Yeah, I think that's important. Historian also has to, and I think, you know, I I know history majors in my professional life who are lawyers and business people (laughs) and physicians and politicians, and they do everything. Uh, and, And I think that goes back to the liberal arts background. It really allows you to learn to communicate, to learn to critically uh, analyze a problem and to solve it. And that's what we want. We want problem solvers in the world. Yes, we not do. Prob- not problem creators. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, Betsy and George, I've come to the end of um, my time with you. I've been talking to Betsy and George Christian, a couple of writers who live in Austin, Texas. They've co-authored two Texas history books called For the Love of Texas, Tell Me About the Colonists, and Tell Me About the Revolution. Betsy and George told you a little bit about how they came to write these books. And if you think teaching history is dry, these books are for you. Betsy is a writer, public affairs consultant, and community volunteer. And George and I talked about what it meant to be a fifth-generation Texan. And George practices law and teaches literature at the University of Texas at Austin. They have two school-age and two adult children. So thank you, Betsy, and thank you, George, for joining me this week. It's been a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you for having us. Very much. Thank you, Vivian. You have a safe weekend. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of Paying It Forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to MyMomKnowsBest.com. 
Josephine Girasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's paying it forward with tips, tools, and advice and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Girasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on toginet.com. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 Central on toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's the Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, what an interesting conversation. Betsy and George Christian are planning on writing books about other American states, so watch their site for news, www.fortheloveoftexas.com. I also have it linked on my Sociable Homeschooler website and my Toginet page. Even if you're not from the Lone Star State, maybe your curiosity has been piqued about why Texans don't like being told what to do. Look out for the other history books, as I said, written by them in the not-too-distant future. While we were up in D- Dallas last week, we went out to dinner twice with people of our choice and were treated to our meals both times. I ate the fish and chips I'd been craving for one of my meals at a little pub in one of the little downtown um, places close to where we used to live. And then we cooked dinner for the children over at Dort's apartment to celebrate our birthdays. It's a whole lot cheaper than taking the whole crowd out for dinner, and we had champagne too. My blue-eyed Texan and I made Parmesan chicken, which was a total success, and I had made a special cake, a hollowed-out strawberry cake, in which I put panna cotta. But that was a touch-and-go little thing. I tell you, the cake was heavy in weight as I carried it to the table singing happy birthday and I'd put whipped cream on top of it and strawberries and uh, it was quite delicious but gave me lots of ideas for other fillings to put inside hollowed out cakes things like a nice syrupy red wine would be really nice and um, maybe tiramisu in a chocolate cake Mm -hmm, making myself hungry 
Unhappily, I caught Dort's crud while I was in Dallas. I blamed it on the cat at the house where we were staying, but it wasn't really allergies as I spent half a day in bed with a moderate fever. Unheard of. But I'm feeling much better now. I'm taking lots of vitamin C and my cowboy went off to get a flu shot. My Texan and I have signed up as trusted house sitters on a website. There are several online sites where homes are listed by people who need someone to look after their dogs or cats or any number of any of other animals. You can actually choose which animals you prefer to look after or at least have experience. I really wouldn't want to do cows and chickens and horses because I don't have a clue. Some of the assignments are just long weekends and some are for months. So we're looking in the Caribbean at the moment after the severe weather we've been getting, but London will do. So far, only one person has responded and that was in Delaware and my southern cowboy nixed that as too cold. Anyway, the house sitting is a good way to go and visit foreign lands and stay for absolutely free except for food, which we would expect to buy anyway, and the cost of getting there, of course. We'll see if we get any takers. It's a little daunting, to say the least, not having our own home. I have to keep reminding myself that something will turn up and that I'm exactly where God wants me to be right now. But it is hard not to fret. And we're back again this week on Thursday. We are going back up to town. Um, I'm home all weekend, but um, it's book club time. Time to choose our new books and we're going out to dinner, which is always fun. And uh, my cowboy and I might take the opportunity to go to the dentist, if you can call going to the dentist an opportunity. Maybe we'll go and see a film. <laughs> You've been listening to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny, and I'll be back same time, same place next Friday. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hard-working staff at Toginet Radio, my producer Casey, my guests this week Betsy and George Christian, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Hannah, Joel, Anne, Rosemary, Kathleen, Esme, Millicent, Margaret, Jacob, Walter, Jane, Olivia, Tina, and oodles of others who are part of my growing audience. Stay tuned all the time and catch lots of great shows to help you through your day here on Toginet. Take care and be safe. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Number 6, 24-26. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNenny on Toginat. The Sociable Homeschooler is Vivian's attempt to help dispel the stereotypical homeschool family. She and her husband have four grown children ages 24 to 18 who were willing guinea pigs for her foray into homeschooling, the Wildflower Academy, which flourished for 15 years. Vivian is here to be an encourager to all of you who are thinking of homeschooling. Plus, you'll have some great ideas on homework, vacations, keeping science projects in the house, and being popular versus popularity. So we'll see you here next Friday for another engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNenny. Friday afternoons at 5, 4 central on toginet.com.